Welcome Wolfpack fans, we are back with another episode of the Red and White Podcast. I'm Evan, got my co-host Dustin here, and we got a good episode lined up for you this week. Uh, we'll talk Notre Dame, Hurricane, and have a special guest interview from Scott Roussel from footballscoop.com. Should be pretty awesome. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Dustin, how did you enjoy the Hurricane game? It was it was pretty shitty, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I got there, and uh, there were some people in our group tailgating, and I got out there later than them, obviously, and uh, stood around, and it wasn't so bad, and walked in, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's a good story and all. That was over in like 10 minutes. Um, the good story, it's fun stuff. Like, it was raining. It wasn't sprinkling. It was raining. And the wind blowing, and it's just, you know, stings your face when it hits you. And uh, about 10 minutes in the second quarter, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go home. And that was that. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you and uh, the other Wolfpack fans who made it out there because I was pleasantly surprised to see maybe two-thirds, three-quarters stadium full when that game kicked off. I thought that was unbelievable. Yeah, I got a bone to pick with you, Mr. No Pass Out. And then you don't even go to the game. Well, I have no chance I'm going to that game. <laughs> I sat through multiple hurricane games. I was content sitting on my couch. I was I was I did think about it. I said if the power goes out and I'm gonna walk I'll walk down to the stadium and I'll go to the game. <laughs> did not go out. I sat there and watched it. I was perfectly yeah. fine. No, it was it was, uh, it, was brutal. It, it wasn't even safe. Um I had my wife come pick me up and we had trouble getting home already. I mean, uh, one of the roads we take home, uh, Old Wake Forest Road, if you're familiar with Raleigh. I mean, it wasn't even halftime of the game yet. and Or I guess it would have been halftime. And the road was already shut down because the bridge was gone with water covering it. I mean, it was... Wow. There was, n- There was no need for that game to be played. And I understand that the forecast changed and it ended up being worse than they thought. But, I mean, if Florida can cancel a game, we should have, you know, said we'd play it the next day or the day before or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we played because it worked out in our favor, but I agree with you. It was kind of a, a weird situation for us to, you know, go ahead and put that put that game forward, you know, when, and I guess nobody expected it to be as bad as it was down south here you know Sanford Fayetteville area got it real bad so hopefully everybody's okay but you know when you when it's calling for that sort of weather I mean I, I think that's just it borders on irresponsibility to, to play yeah. that game that just I don't know to sound I'm not typically the uh, high ground guy but you gotta have some a little bit of respect for what's happening to the people around you, you know? Right. Like there were more important things than football that day, but it is what it is. Yeah. I, I think it was just, uh, you know, nobody expected it to be as bad as it is, but yeah, it, it happened. It did work out in our favor though. Uh, I think you look back at that game and for some godforsaken reason, and I kept tweeting this out during the game, Brian Kelly decided to throw it 30, I think he threw 36 <laughs> times. You know. Was it like uh, their first play from scrimmage, or at least first drive, where he just throws a deep ball and it's like 20 yards under and hits our defender. I don't even know who it was. Hit him in the chest and he dropped it. But at yeah. that point, I'm like, yeah, you can't throw the ball in this. But he didn't pick up on that. I'm guessing it's because they couldn't run it or that, you know, they figured out they weren't going to run it on us. Now that's a credit to our defensive line and, and whatnot. Maybe See, I disagree, just... though, because yeah. they did run in the second half. Yeah, they ran a little bit. I, I think at that point, that might have been our defensive line being exhausted. But, yeah, if you, you know, if you're watching that game, they looked like they were slogging around, and they were everybody was kind of struggling at that point. So, yeah, they just couldn't, they couldn't do anything. But dropping back to pass, I thought that was just ridiculous. And then the, the sort of passes they were throwing, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm, I'm reading online on – 
the Reddit thread and, you know, on Twitter and the Notre Dame fans are just going crazy. Like, why are you throwing the ball? And I was like, well, I don't know, man. I feel bad for you. That's terrible. <laughs> it was, it was you know awful. What? It goes back to something. Uh, I know we talked about it a bit last year with uh, Clemson. I think we were talking about how we're not going to necessarily have more talent. So to win, we have to outcoach them. And yeah. Doran outcoached Kelly that day. I don't know that it would have been hard to. I mean, we all could run the ball, don't throw. But, I mean, that's – he stuck to his grounds, and it, it didn't work out for him, I guess. I, Although the first play of the game, they tried a flea flicker. It was awful. <laughs> awful. I mean, I appreciate the aggressiveness. Maybe not the right timing. That was some play they had worked up long before the hurricane got there like we're gonna run this one regardless and they and they stuck to it (laughs) my reaction was the same as everybody else is like what did you just do (laughs) kind of weird how often i mean you see a flea flicker fail a lot but how often do you see it before the ball is even thrown (laughs) i mean probably quite a bit I'm (laughs) i'm sure that pitch and that was finley's problem pretty much the whole game is he kept Looking away from the ball, if you if you watch them on TV and you watch the replays, he really struggled focusing on the ball. He was already, you know, looking downfield, and when it's raining that hard, you've got to concentrate on catching it. I don't know. I, I think that was – and you could see it right there in that play. He did that same thing. He looked away too soon, dropped the ball, did it a couple other times. Maybe not his best game, but, I, I mean, a win's a win. I'm, I'm happy for it. I think that was – it's a – surprisingly a big win in our program's history you just you know you don't get those we haven't had those many that many opportunities now granted Notre Dame's not great but you're still beating Notre Dame and I can guarantee that Dave Doran's walking around every high school he can saying hey we just beat Notre Dame you know he's he's gonna beat that drum till you can't hear it anymore yeah I mean you gotta get or take what you can out of it yeah like you say they're down it was and if we had played them and you know 70 degree sunny weather i don't know but we didn't so it is what it is yeah there's no telling if their offensive line was that bad or our defensive line was that good i think our secondary actually played pretty well there was there was plenty of pass breakups on maybe passes they might have completed uh, i think tocho had one stevens had one niles clark had a really good one so they were playing they were playing i think they played pretty well and, yeah you know I feel like I complain a lot, and so this is probably going to call off as complaining, but it's maybe on the good side, is that I feel like the weather is going to take away from that we actually played an okay game. Now, there was some bumbling, and everybody's seen all the videos, but that's sort of selling us short a little bit, I think. I think our line, both of our lines dominated. Our, our offensive line was fantastic. If Matt Days can run for a, you know, a buck 20-something, they, they were doing work. And I think they get a little bit of, they lose a little credit that they shouldn't just because the weather was so bad. Yeah, you see that a lot with, uh, <laughs> well, VT right now is getting the same kind of thing. Right. But, um, I mean, it, if I picked an MVP, it would not It would be the weather, you know. But, Matt Days, Matt Days just, he was cutting them up. Yeah, he got yardage, but he never put it in, you know. That's true. I don't, I don't know if that was his fault. They stopped this day to him for whatever reason. <laughs> but, yeah, I, win's win. Yeah. It's a, you know, storied program. I'll take it. I think it's exactly what you come to expect. You know, it's kind of the vision Dave Dorn has for the program where you have, I won't say mutters, but you have the hardworking kind of in the trenches kind of guys and blue-collar type. He always mentions blue-collar. Blue-collar type players. And I think that was kind of the difference here. Notre Dame's a little bit more, and you saw it in Chapel Hill too. Carolina's a little bit more finesse, uh, throw the deep ball a lot, and they're not going to win those games. So that's why I asked to play Carolina in a monsoon too, and apparently that set off all the Virginia Tech fans thinking, (laughs) you know, that, hey, we would have beat them in a regular. Yeah, you you might have beat them, but they were going to score when the wind's not blowing and it's not a hurricane outside. So I think – we don't want to get let this get to our heads, and I don't think they should either. I think that's going to be it's going to be interesting. I'm happy with it. That was a win. I just I want to give them due credit. They played pretty well. 
yeah, it's it's a win that should get us to a bowl game. Yeah. So we we had to get one of the top tier ones, I think, and that that was as long as we do what we should, we at least win six now, you know, so Yeah. It is what it is. Schedule gets a little tough for us for sure, and that's a good segue into this week. We go down to Death Valley. We are sixteen point dogs to Clemson. Is it gonna rain? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope it there's a monsoon right on top of Greenville, South Carolina just for that game. Yeah. That's uh I don't want to say that's the only chance we got, but um, that's going to be tough, man. It is going to be tough. Clemson That's is, Blueville, you know? <laughs> yeah. Clemson is really good. They, you know, Matt Days was having a great game versus him last year until he got hurt, and that kind of changed the complexion of that game. But this year I think they match up a little bit differently than us. I think their strength is the deep ball. And that's probably one of our weaknesses is covering the deep yeah. ball. And with Mike Williams back for Clemson, I think that's going to be something that they're going to look to exploit and exploit a lot. And that concerns me. Yeah, we're in the same kind of situation. I mean, Watson's got the same situation as Notre Dame if they had been, you know, optimal weather type stuff. But yeah, Watson's got 1,500 yards already, 18 touchdowns. Williams, 432 receiving. Um it's the best team we'll play all year. Yeah. So, uh, I'd like to cover the spread. I guess that's a win for me. Uh, yeah, covering the spread's a huge win, I think. Yeah, just doing it in a manner where you know, or it's not a sloppy game. It's not the ECU game all over again where you have opportunities and you blow them. Right. right. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Jalen McClendon coming in the Notre Dame game and then leading a successful drive until they pulled him out and put Finley in and then kind of bumbled our way out of that one. What do you think about McClendon's playing time? Uh, it was situational and it worked well. I don't know why you, you pull him when you get to the goal line until make them stop that before you change it up, you know? Right. And I guess he had gained like three or something on the play before. So they figured that was enough. But uh, I don't know. It was working. They were tired. He wasn't pitching it backwards 15 yards, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know. There, there was some stuff. Yeah, there, but, it was uh, kind of weird. I, I agree with you there. I, I'm not sure how to take it. it you, know, you look back on it and you can think, why would you pull him out? Right? You kind of like, that, that's the frustrating part. Another decision where you're like, hmm, I don't know about that. Why don't you let, let the guy play? Even if he's just going to run it, that's all we were doing anyway. He was running all over him too. Yeah, it was um, it was frustrating, I guess. Yeah, because it was it was a good good decision to to try that, and then it worked. But then I don't know. I'll never understand going away from something that the other team can't really stop. Yeah, dude, run it until they stop it. Yeah, adjust until they stop that. You know. I'm, I'm that one, too. that one pitch. I mean, took away that drive. We would have had seven more. Yeah, I'm not sure whose fault that was. Whether that was um, Gillespie or Finley there, but that was you know, somebody's fault. Some miscommunication and it definitely, definitely cost those points. Right. It's, yeah. I don't know. I. I think we should also actually going back into the Notre Dame game. Talking about uh, Bradley Chubb had a great game. It would even be- even better if he didn't get a ridiculous. Uh, well, I forgot they called it a roughing penalty. It was actually unsportsmanlike conduct for pointing at an offensive lineman who jumped offside or false started or whatever you want to call it. Right. No, even like national guys. Mike Golick's tweeting that NC State got job there. That was a terrible call. Like this is the first time people are actually on our side on one of these things. I mean. That game extended their drive, albeit they screwed it up shortly thereafter. But again, it's just one of those calls you're like, come on, man, just get it right. It's not that hard of a call. He wasn't taunting anybody. He had an excellent game, three and a half sacks. And then, you know, it's slightly overshadowed by that nonsense. 
Yeah, it's funny. We don't have a lot of national games when we do national media. It's like, hey, they got screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You know? Yeah. Golik probably doesn't see us play Boston College. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a nice... uh, it's nice to bring our, our story to the rest of the world, I guess is a good way to describe it. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I guess that is. I guess that's perfect that everybody can experience what we're dealing with here. I, I think it's we need to address the drainage situation on the field. That might be a problem. It's supposed to be so fancy, though. For an engineering turf management school, yeah, I think they have some problems. They need to go back to the mountain in the middle. <laughs> Tom O'Brien removed that, I believe. Yeah, crown. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. go back to, to that. Run uphill. That always worked. Yeah, <laughs> that's the easiest solution, right? Yeah. That was crazy. If you ever saw it from field level, I mean, it was like that was a noticeable it, hill. It was huge. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I'd have been there and just worn down, I guess, so long that uh, it was a little more than needed to yeah. be. But there weren't exactly, you know, puddles that the ref. <laughs> We laughed at, at, in the stadium watching the uh, the refs walk around, and every step they took, you could see a pedal or a puddle popping up just from them walking normally. Like, oh, and these guys are trying to run and keep traction in that. Like, yeah. That's, mm. it, it, it was crazy. Um, anyway, I'll keep jumping back and forth here. Clemson presents a whole new set of, pro- set of problems. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Scott Roussel what he thinks about that thinks about the state going forward and his per- perception of us and as a program. I think I know the answer to that, so, but it would be interesting to see an, an outsider's point of view. Clemson's, Clemson's tough, though. I mean, you saw what they did, and granted, it was Louisville. They're not going to be as hype for us. It's a noon game in Death Valley, so that's that's good for us. We've played better on the road, Sands ECU, you know, so... I, who knows what can happen I don't expect a win I think I'm with you I think keep it inside 16 it's probably a mental win there and then don't lose by 60 to Louisville the following week yeah that's the tough one uh, it's just if we were talking before we started recording when have we ever had this you know yeah a, a play in a number 3 and then a number 7 that's I don't want to I don't know stuff about I'm not trying to act all historical, but I don't know a time when we've had to do that. Right. And that's, that's a test. So yeah, I don't, go ahead. I, I don't think the next two weeks are as important as the way we rebound from them more than likely going badly. We can't let these two games destroy the rest of the season. You know what I mean? I think you're exactly right. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster. And I don't know, if, you know, we're not necessarily good at handling that. But whether we play this game close or we get blown out, both of these games, you know, any result really shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think you should kind of dictate what's going to happen the rest of the year based on either one of these results, which is it's, it's hard for people to, to see, right? Kind of live in the moment sort of thing. It was the same thing we should, you know, same way we should have reacted with ECU. It's hard to, it's hard to judge based on that. But these two programs are really good. You know, we've seen them do things that people, you know, the beating Florida State by forty or whatever it was, and then Clemson beating Louisville and Lamar Jackson being really good. And it's just not a great measuring stick of what the rest of the season has entails entails for us because there's a lot of football left. BC, Syracuse, Carolina, Miami. They're all winnable. I mean, that's so we could go nine and three, losing, getting blown out in these two games. Or we could go, what are we now, four and one? You could go four and eight, four and nine, four and eight. Yeah. So I'm with you. You just don't know what's going to happen. Don't don't look too much into this game, or don't look too much into the next game, unless there's just some glaring deficiency. Unless we get Rutgers. Yeah, oh, then there's a problem. Just <laughs> purge everybody. I can't believe so. they lost seventy-eight to zero. They had so many recruits there too. That was the the, the best part. Recruits. I think yeah. that's that's 
Like logistically, that's amazing. You can get 200 recruits a game, and then to basically not even <laughs> get a first down. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was listening, yeah. Well, I was listening to um, Pat Forty and uh, his podcast earlier, and they talked about how Rutgers is a proxy war between state and Michigan who can beat them the most, who can beat them the worst. <laughs> and then they went in that there's some satellite camp controversy where uh, Harbaugh is going to have a satellite camp. And then they found Rutgers found out and threw up a camp the same day to have. So recruits would have conflicts with them. And so there's a little bit of animosity there. And that was part of the reason why he went full throttle on them. I mean, they were up 27, nothing and he went for two. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's just a hardball move anyway that is, it's savage yeah, I, I love it i love it just beat the piss out of somebody no. but yeah don't get don't get beat 78 nothing i feel okay about that we've played louisville tough the last couple of years so i feel okay about that game too this one it'll be interesting i just don't you know we don't want fans to get too worked up one way or the other i agree guy there's not a lot to say I mean, yeah, Clemson's uh, one of those cream of the crop programs now. It's consistent year to year, so <laughs> it's going to be the same thing every year. Trying to do something with it. Yeah, I, I was trying to. I was looking at my Twitter feed and keep seeing these things rolling across. I was trying to think of a good Donald Trump reference to get into here, but I just can't do it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was uh, who? That was something last night. That was that was that was pretty entertaining. That was more entertaining than a football game, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think let's go on to our locks of the week. Uh, I don't remember who you picked last week. Who'd you pick last week? I took Tennessee plus seven, which oh, ended up man, as a push. A that was a <laughs> dude. That that hurt a little bit. Like. It was funny though they were down twenty eight to seven, and I'm like, well, there's no way they're coming back, you know. Yeah. But damn if they didn't, dude. I'm telling just, you. Uh, I was texting you during that game. The, the world's largest horseshoe is hanging up in Knoxville somewhere. <laughs> I can't believe that they came back and then they made, took it to overtime. I stopped watching the game. The ten, I think they were lining up to kick, or A and M was lining up to kick, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go put my kid to bed and read some books. And I came back out, and you're texting me, like, I was reading my messages. I'm like, what the hell did I miss? The game was over already. <laughs> they had gone over That kick. <laughs> yeah. God, that kick at the end of regulation, that was awful. I mean, absolutely terrible. Yeah. I... Like, they centered it and yeah. everything. I was like, they got this. This is over. Man. Well, just... that, expert, uh, that expert coaching from, from Butch, he iced him twice before that kick. <laughs> so stupid. So. I hate the icing. I think that's ridiculous. Hey, I'll I'll do it every time if they miss. Then then it's justified. You know? I guess. I guess. Because he came up and he was, you know, you see him come up the first time and he's like, all right, ready for business. By the second time, like he looked scared. Honestly, like you could see a visual change in his face. <laughs> and it, I don't know if it was that or, or what, but in result, they didn't make the kick. So yeah, that was crazy. Uh, so you're locked in, come through, and I'm. I guess I'm fifty fifty here because I picked ECU to cover theirs, but then I switched it when I thought their quarterback was hurt, but he wasn't hurt. Yeah, you lost. And so I'm going to take the L there. I don't. I didn't get a win either. I have yeah. a push. So our, our locks since we started this, my record is o one and one, and Evans is o and two. So probably shouldn't listen to us ever. <laughs> no, no, this <laughs> is different, man. I'm starting. I'm starting. This one. I got a good one. We're. We're actually going to try now. So that's right. Uh, what you got? I'm going Louisville plus 34 or minus 34 <laughs> versus Duke. Mm. Yeah, it might be fair. <laughs> I think they put up a hundred. Uh, <laughs> I think they're going to destroy. Man, Duke beat Notre Dame though. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. I want Duke to win. That makes us look better. Actually, I don't want Duke to win. I don't know. Yeah. Why I want to win. I just don't think they covered thirty four. I think that's a that's going to be an embarrassing game. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go. Man, none, none of this is jumping out at me. I uh, I'm pretty intrigued by the South Alabama Arkansas State game, but I'm going to pass on that. 
I like uh I like Pitt minus three against Virginia. Yeah, that seems like a good one too. Uh, last time I picked against Virginia, I lost, but uh, I don't see how they stop. <laughs> I don't see how they keep it with a three. I guess we'll, we'll leave it at that. So. How they stop Matt Canada's? I offense. might not make your mortgage, but I might make your cable. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> I mean, ugh, ugh. yeah. I, I'll forever hate UVA uh, from that. I don't remember what it was like. Twenty-seven nothing. Uh, something awful like that. The uh, the TOB game is what I call it. Oh, the one that man. I, yeah, I don't ended his tenure. Yeah, that game was. Oh. oh man, that game was sad. It was that's the only way I can describe it was sad. The crowd felt sad. Everything was sad. The outcome was sad. Dude, it was awful. Yeah. Like because uh, after that, the uh, there was like a like a scrimmage basketball game at PNC. Yeah. So I go all excited that morning. I'm like, all right, sweet. You know, easy game against Virginia. Basketball after I didn't even want to go to that basketball game, but I did. <laughs> like I was just so pissed off. I just wanted to go home and yeah, drink some Mad Dog or something. But <laughs> I went. <laughs> like that's one where you want you want to have a hangover to take away the pain of the loss. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was that. That's my uh, uh while off. I will forever hate Virginia now. I mean, I didn't really like them in the first place, so I can go with you in that one. <laughs> the Carolina of Virginia. That's, that's right. They are the Carolina of Virginia. That's why we relate <laughs> better to Virginia Tech fans. Yeah. So, <laughs> I will say we've uh, we've been getting a bunch of emails and uh, calls and whatnot from people, so keep them coming. I think that's really awesome. We love when you guys do that. Uh, you know, reach out to us any way you can, and we'll try to include you in next episode. Uh, give us your thoughts, you know, all that stuff. Um, obviously, we didn't record on site this week because might have been a little bit of a hurricane, might some audio troubles, you know, all that stuff. Um, but keep it coming, <laughs> keep the input coming, people. That's, I think it's awesome. I think it helps uh, helps us and it helps uh, everybody else. Uh, I think uh, I think that's it. We're gonna wrap up. I we have Scott Roussel join us from FootballScoop.com. I'm really excited about this interview. You know, I love the coaching silly season. We talk about it a lot. And I think Scott provides some really good insight. For those who don't know, we should really he's definitely a follow on Twitter at Football Scoop. And just listen to his insight. He gets he knows what's going on in the back channels. And we talked about this quite a bit. So uh, listen to his interview and then you know, let us know if you liked it and I'll keep trying to get other guests like, you know, along that lines, uh, to join us. But that's all I got. Dustin, you good? If uh, I don't know how to word it, but basically, if uh, if you had some kind of negative effect from the storm this week, uh, I hope that good things you know come to you. Get your power back. Hopefully, you didn't lose too much, and hopefully, everybody stayed safe. Yeah, that's a good point. Especially everybody down in the Fayetteville, Sand Hills area. I know you guys had a lot of a lot of troubles, a lot of damage. You know, and they're still going on. So, you know, our thoughts are with you. Hope you get through it. All right. That's it. All right, baby. Go pack. Go pack. All right, folks. I'm here with Scott Roussel from footballscoop.com and at footballscoop on Twitter. To me, it's one of the best reads and best follows in college football. Uh, Scott, thanks for taking your time to join us, our little part of the podcast world. Really appreciate it. Oh, I'm happy to be on. Uh, I enjoy what you guys do. Uh, we wanted to have you on. Is that I recently heard you on the Football Four podcast. I think it was around the time that Les Miles got fired and from LSU, and you were talking about the coaching silly season. To me, it's always fascinating. The con- conventional wisdom is that you know, a school will fire a coach, you know, X Y Z, just so you can get a head start on your coaching search. Uh, at least that's what most fans think. But I heard you talking about it. It's not really the reality. And it was a good point, and I want you to, if you could talk about the back channels that are always working, can you explain that to our audience a little bit? Yeah, you know, um, I, I believe the reasons why you, you fire a coach um, early in the season is if there's if there's an issue in the locker room. Um, you know, if you say, we got great kids here, but they're just not being led properly, and and, and this guy's got to go. He's He's part of the cancer. And we're going to give these kids an opportunity to have a great, you know, the seniors are going to have a great final season, bring someone new in here, some fresh blood, fresh life, you know, rejuvenate the entire program. Um, 
you know, or perhaps you do it if you feel like you have an amazing coach on staff, you know, a number two or a number three guy, and you want to give him a tryout. You do it in that case. Um, but to, to do it to say this gives us an early head start on on our search, that's just silly. That's ridiculous. Um, you know, Missouri, Gary Pinkle uh, finds out that he's sick and, and tells the athletic director he's going to step down in October of last year. And they they announced that to the world, maybe September. Um, and they announced it to the world, um, I want to say early, gosh, I forget the date, but early November perhaps. Um, so Missouri, you know, their, their athletic director knew at least six weeks before the end of the season, you know, that they were doing a search. And he announced that time, you know, we're, we're going to start our search. We're going to find the best possible coach. And he almost didn't do any sit-down interviews until a couple weeks after the season ended. And then obviously winds up hiring Barry Odom from their staff. So, you know, that's that whole gives us an opportunity to signal or any of that stuff. That's garbage. Um, you know, in a position like, you know, obviously LSU is real. It's open. But if Texas were open or you know, any of the significant schools, it's not like their athletic director has to wait to call other agents. You know, the guys they're hiring are represented. I'm sorry, are represented. And you just call their – I mean, they talk to their agents all the time anyway. There's only four or five, you know, the top – you know, the best of the best agents. They talk to them every month. So, you know, just about what's, what's the lay of the land? What's going on? You know, about various contractual matters of somebody under contract, not under contract – it's ridiculous to think that we have to do this now to, to get out in front of things. And there's no real benefit to a school like LSU doing that because they have the name, right? If say Texas does come open, just being first is not going to do anything for them. If, if Tom Herman's a guy for both of them, he's going to wait and hear both offers whenever they come open. Right. I mean, it's not going to happen until the end of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it makes, you know, Joe Oliva would say it now, he did this to give Orgeron an opportunity to prove himself. Um, now, I think the whole world knows that's not really why he did it, but that's 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 the reason he would give you. Uh, oh no, we wanted to get you know we felt like O was you know a, a strong candidate, so we wanted to give him a shot and let's see what he could do. Uh, the reality is, and if you talk to any of the insiders at LSU, is they really wanted to do it last year and their plan backfired. Oliva leaked it too early, and uh, came back to bite him. So. You know, they were made to look really stupid with their handling of it last year. So he saw his opportunity. He took it knowing that there are for fear of not being able to do it later in the season. You know, if something were to turn around, because um, LSU has all the talent in the world, you know, there's it wasn't getting done. So he took a shot while he could. That's all this is. I think that sets up perfectly for my next question. I think it's it's setting up to be a very busy off season. I think a lot of potential big jobs are going to be open, you know, what happens in a situation like Texas? Like, what is that about with Charlie Strong? Does he need more time? Is it just a bad fit that wouldn't work? I mean, it seems like Texas should have the talent to win, and Charlie Strong didn't forget how to coach. I, mean, I know NC State fans like to use that excuse a long time ago when you know Tom O'Brien didn't leave any talent for Dave Dorn, and but Texas and Charlie Strong they can't use that excuse, right? I, I don't think anybody can really use that excuse in year three, um, especially with you know. Charlie has landed, you know, what, what are generally regarded as exceptionally strong recruiting classes. You know, came in last year. I don't follow recruiting super closely, but it was certainly a top 10 class. I think it was a top five class. Might have been higher than that. Um, and he's playing some young kids, but Charlie's made a lot of, you know, mistakes um, with his coaching staffs and coaching philosophies and, and execution of their game plans or implementation of their game plans even. Um I don't know exactly what the issue is there, but there's some issues. Um, and, you know, Texas boosters believe they can go out and get whoever they want. Might not be true, but they believe it. Um, and it doesn't help when you have a guy in state like Tom Herman, who, you know, it's kind of out there that that's one of his dream jobs, you know, right down the road. Um, and they're like, God, we could bring this guy in, you know, anytime we want. And now he's just thriving at Houston. We gotta go get this guy. So that that hurts as well. If you didn't have that situation in state, uh, I think Charlie would get another year. Um, you know, with this, eh, not so sure. Um, you also have a really, really 
um, challenging structural um, leadership issue with the athletics department um, with Perrin being there. And, and, you know, he's not, he's not a long-term AD, never been an AD, you know, it, it's just a weird situation. So it's, it's just not classic. I don't know exactly what to tell you. Um, but I think unless Charlie does something significantly different, uh, you know, in their latter half of their season, the, the change is coming. Yeah, I don't think it surprises anybody. I'm wondering how often is a, a good head coach or, you know, a head coach, Charlie Strong, he's, a, you know, considerably a good head coach. How do they get taken down by bad assistant hires? Is that pretty common or is it, you know, the coaches gets, gets it put in a system or a place where it's a bad fit and that, that's what happens? You know, um, it's hard to speak in generalities because each yeah. each each thing is is you know specific facts. Um, but you know, you say okay, you really shouldn't rush on Watson. Perhaps you know if that's not the offense you wanted to run. Um, but it's not like Sean has been the only change there. You know, he, he's changing coordinators. It seems like every six months. Um, so is it bigger than than just the one bad hire? Um, it just seemed like seemed like there's been a lot of dysfunction at Texas specifically. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, although there's huge money in college football these days, um, it's not it's not as easy to build a staff as you would think, regardless of the budget. Uh, you know, there's always gonna be that one or two guys, a key guy, and you're gonna you know pay up for them, and you're gonna be a little short with some of the other positions. Um, so when you're hiring nine full-time assistants plus a bunch of other people on staff, you're not always going to hit nine home runs. Um, so it, you got to find guys with no ego, the guys who are in it for the right reasons, um, you know, who believe what you believe, you know, their core values are what your core values are. And as long as you got that, no egos, we can all work together. Um, just sometimes you have those egos and then that, that throws off the dynamic. Now, is Tom Herman in the best position of any second-year coach ever? It's pretty impressive, isn't it, what he's done? He's uh, going to get paid. Oh, there's no question about that. <laughs> um, and he's a super intelligent guy. He knows what he's doing um, and knows he doesn't need to take unnecessary risks. You know, there was a lot of discussion last year about how he really flirted with the South Carolina opening, and all along I was saying – Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's not going to South Carolina. He's just not. He's in too good of a position to jump to that job, which is not an easy job to win at um, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, most importantly. Um, he's in a great position. And, you know, if Texas is that one that moves the needle for him, he's in a you know, uber great position. You know, you say that, and I, I try to think of who else in year two is was in was like that. I, yeah, I can't come up with much. I'll tell you, you know, a guy who had a lot of shine year two was James Franklin at Vanderbilt. You know, if you remember, I think they had won like two games for a couple of years before they hired him. He went six his first year, wins nine his, last, his second year, including, I think, six or seven straight to end that second season. Uh, I think they might have beat NC State in the, bowl. Uh, in the bowl game. And yeah, his name was uh, a hot name in, in Raleigh for a while there. He was on fire. I mean, he was he was he was the hot name in college football. Um, so you know, he you went six and went nine. Um, not the same as what Tom has done, uh, but at Vanderbilt, you know, fighting the SEC. It's <laughs> well, that that might be the only thing I can come up with. It was someone <laughs> outside of Herman and you know probably PJ Fleck at Western Michigan. Who are some of the the hot young coaches that might be getting interest this year from Power Five jobs? Um, okay. So I, I guess I would differentiate between, um, you know, current head coaches and current assistants. When you say young guys, my first, you know, my mind jumps to assistants. Um, uh, and so assistants that come to mind, um, Doug Meacham, who's offense coordinator at, at TCU, um, has, you know, when, when I think through, all right, who's got a realistic shot, it's guys who have interviewed before, you know, it's not a first time to get an interview. It's a guy who's been through it a couple of times. He's looked at jobs, turned down a couple of jobs where he felt like that's not the right one for me and my family. Doug Meacham fits that bill. Um, a guy I think super highly of is Brent Venables. Um, 
Clemson's defensive coordinator. I think he's just a fantastic coach. Another guy who's had opportunities, who has interviewed, who's said, you know, this isn't the right one for me just yet. Um, some of the names that you maybe haven't really thought of, and maybe that's because they haven't had the real interviews yet for real jobs, but Dave Aranda is an outstanding coach. I think Mike Bloomgren at Stanford is an outstanding coach. Um, I think Tony Elliott at Clemson is uh, underlooked, um, doesn't receive the attention he perhaps deserves. Uh, you'll hear Jeff Collins because um, of the Florida connections, you know, for some some not power five jobs, but for some other jobs. Um, you know, at the uh, you know the, the sitting head coaches who might get a look up already. Um, you know, Baylor's an interesting one. Could that come back to uh, Dino Babers or Philip Montgomery, who are former Art Browse guys? Uh, both of them are, are awfully impressive young coaches. Um, you know, who else is a, just a fantastic coach? Hasn't translated to wins yet, um, but Chad Morris is an outstanding football coach. Good person. Um, you know, Chad, young guy, bright, bright offensive mind. Um, he's one. Um, I mean, there's plenty of other really good coaches out there, but those are, those are some guys, you know, Fleck, you mentioned Fleck's just done an outstanding job. Um, you know, he, I don't know if, if abrasive is the right term, but he was just different. Right. And he's done a lot of things differently. Um, and, and so you're like, huh? <laughs> I don't know if I can jump on board with this guy yet. And then you watch him and, and you see how it works and you see his staff buy in and his players buy in. Um, the community rallied behind him. I think the whole community was, uh, you know, they paused when he came in. He was so different than Bill Cubitt. Um, but it's, I mean, it's just flat out working. So you got to be impressed by that. There's a lot of, a lot of talented young guys, you know, some of them got swooped up this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, DJ Durkin, Matt Campbell. I mean, those guys are just quality, quality football coaches. I think Blake Anderson's a great coach. Unfortunately, he's having a, down year again in terms of wins and losses. Um, but these are really good. I mean, these are the type of guys you meet them and you say, yeah, I could see sending my son to play for him. You know, that's, that's who you want to have run your program. I think folks around here, you know, we follow Syracuse because they're in our division are probably expecting Dino Babers to Baylor at some point after this year, um, whether he leaves after one season at Syracuse. But yeah, I think that's kind of right in his wheelhouse since what he's looking for. And it's just, yeah. it's a better job. Well, it's, I mean, it would be an outstanding fit for him personally. It's just a question of how, you know, I don't, I don't understand what's happening at Baylor. Um, you know, some of the things that continue to do from a PR standpoint just makes you go, what is, who is running that place? So given that, I just don't have any idea, you know, who, who they're looking to hire, what they want to hire. Um, you know, are they willing to bring in somebody from that tree, from the browse tree, or are they not? I just don't know the answer to that. But if they are, um, Dino or Philip are, are the two, you know, clear candidates. Yeah, and I think they brought in Grove to kind of, you know, be the patchwork. But he's an excellent yeah. coach, and he's going to win, and he's going to present a lot of problems for a lot of people on certain committees that have to pick teams. Uh, so it's going to be yep. interesting to see how that works out. Yep. Uh, you didn't mention Manny Diaz. Uh, he meant he got fired from Texas a long time ago as a DC. Kind of rebuilt his rep at Mississippi State. Now he's at Miami, doing really, really well. Uh, he's a guy that was at NC State under Chuck Amato, so many people around here still kind of follow him, have an eye on him. Uh, do you like his head coaching potential? Oh, I think Manny's a guy, you know, who hopefully is in the profession for life. He's uh, He's got the charisma. He's got the smarts. He's got the X's and O's. Uh, he can recruit the players, their families, the fan base. Um, he's the total package. Um so yes, definitely. No, I don't know if Manny's opportunity to become a head coach is a year from now, two years from now, or six years from now, but it's coming. Um, and it's just going to take that right opportunity to present itself. You know, I think he's, um, you know, there's some guys who just kind of geographically make more sense in certain parts of the country rather than others. And I think of Manny, uh, probably not far any significantly further north than say Raleigh, um, not much further west past Austin. You know, he's kind of in that southeastern you know quadrant of the country. 
Um, so you got to right, wait for the right one to open. Um, and he might be a guy who looks at a, at a, um, you know, a group of five opportunity to get his first one. Cause he's, he's, he is a head coach, you know, he's going to get there. Um, and it's hard to sit and wait for a power five one because they just don't come open that often. And even if the perfect one comes open, you just don't know that you're going to get it. So it's a huge risk to sit and wait. Um, but boy, he's done a good job everywhere. You know, I know the thing at Texas just didn't work for whatever reason, but I think Manny's outstanding uh, young football coach and, and is doing a great job at Miami right now. I think that's kind of the general consensus by our fan base so that we, you know, pay attention to, to guys like him who have been here before. Yeah. Um, a question is kind of out there, uh, and I know there's a lot of kind of variables in play here, but what type of program would take a chance on Arp Riles right now? Um, uh, a program that values winning, um, <laughs> really high on their pecking order of things they value. Uh, a pro, it would take a program who has a very strong athletic director. Um, you know, uh, for example, uh, LSU is open. Um, and, and let's just say hypothetically, if Auburn were to open as well, LSU is not perceived to have a very strong athletic director. Um, and Joe Oliva, you know, has a lot of, there are a lot of other people who are in his ear who are um, helping him make decisions, let's say. Uh, and, you know, you have the president of the university and you have, um, you have their board, which is fairly large and, and changes from time to time, who's on that board and, and the stroke of influence. And then you have the Tiger Athletic Foundation who has their own influence. Um, so, there's a lot there. Over at Auburn, it's Jay Jacobs, right? He's he's making the decision. Um, so, it, a place like Auburn could do it. A place like LSU probably can't do it. Um, if that makes any sense to you, I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's how I see the world. Yeah, I think just it's kind of polarizing. People, you, you ask somebody about it, and they're like, "Oh, I'd love to take them because they want to win," but you know, the other half of it is, you know what happened at Baylor and exactly under his eyes. And, yeah. Yeah. And none of us know what happened there. Um, and it, it, it would, it would be, you could answer this question better if, if any of us, you know, actually knew what really happened there. And I don't know that we ever really will. Um, the other thing about art specifically is like I said, with Manny art geographically just works better in Texas right. or East Texas. He needs to be able to recruit East Texas. Um, that's, that's what he does. Um, and you, and you win with players. So something in or near East Texas, uh, would be a best fit for him for sure. Another polarizing name that gets thrown around a lot. Uh, anytime any potential job gets open is Lane Kiffin. You know, he's got a question, questionable, uh, head coaching track record. Mm-hmm. Would you take a chance on him for another power five job? Think he's kind of learned under Saban or is he still, you know, who he is? Um, well, you know, I'll give you my personal interactions with Lane and then uh, I'll tell you, I think the, the most important factor, well, two most important factors are, um, when I visit with Lane in person, he is, um, as polite, respectful, uh, uh, charming sounds like a, a weird term, but he, he's, I mean, he's like, man, he can win over everyone in the room. Um, he's, he's really good in person. Um, so that makes me think, yes. Um, but the two more important things are that he's got Saban's vote of confidence and he's got Jimmy Sexton working for him. Uh, and you just can't, it's hard for me to, to oversell how important that is. Um, you know, Jimmy can, can overcome some, some trepidation, some hesitation, uh, amongst athletic directors. He can really sell. Um, he's just, he's fantastic at it. Um, and having coach Saban's, you know, nod seal of approval is is very powerful influential these days as well um so yeah lane's gonna be a head coach i just don't know where i also think um uh, well lane kiffin said to me years ago back when he was head coach at usc that the nfl is the ultimate prize right um you know, being a head coach in the NFL again it is important to him in his career, I think. Um, so I don't think you, you have to restrict Lane's career path to the college football, whereas some guys just love college football. And, like, they'd rather do that regardless of offers. 
uh, Lena is not that guy. So, you know, he's going to look at everything that's out there. You know, he looked at uh, the 49ers opportunity this last time it came open um, as the offensive coordinator in that case. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I, 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 you know, I got in trouble with Saban for saying this last year about him. You know, last year, my bold prediction right before the season was that that would be Nick's last season there. And obviously that was wrong, but that uh, Coach Saban was not pleased with me for making that public. Um, I would say the same thing about Lane, though, this year. Um, you know, I think they just redid Lane's contract um, all not all that long ago, you know, within the past couple of months. And it only runs through February. Um, <laughs> I think that's a pretty decent tell. You know, there's a pretty good shot. He's somewhere else next year, either in college or in the pros. Yeah, this is kind of back to our earlier point about Texas. What are the odds, just one out of 100, that Nick Saban would ever leave Alabama and go to Texas? See, now you're really trying to get me in trouble. Uh, okay, so it's not zero or one. I mean, there, there's, you know, there are not many that Nick would leave in college to go be the coach of, would even consider. Um, I would think uh, Notre Dame and Texas are, are on that list that you would actually even listen to. Um, Nick is, uh, you know, he's like a lot of Americans. He is partially motivated by money, uh, although he's got plenty. It's still something he listens to. Um, you know, he's aware of his legacy uh, for his family, both in terms of wins and losses at Alabama, uh, you know, national championship at LSU, et cetera. But, um, but, but, you know, the financial legacy he leaves for his extended family is important to him as well. Um, you know, he does have a, a not inconsequential ownership in uh, some some area businesses in in Alabama, including a. Um, Mercedes-Benz dealership, um, but he's got some business interests elsewhere as well. So, yeah, um, from 1 to 100, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I think it's one he would at least listen to. That's wild. I just, you know, you have and, it rolling in Alabama. It just makes me like, why would you do that? But And I say, when I say he would listen, uh, you know, I think he would explain that that was his agent listening. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course his agent's going to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson's yeah, going to call him and, and listen. Yeah, they have they have a big checkbook, so I, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you listen, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you you never know. So let me give you the perfect example. Uh, I've owned football scoops since two thousand eight. In two thousand seven, well, and for the eight years before that, I worked for a Fortune five hundred company. I was buying companies for them, and we attempted to buy a company. And I won't even explain. I won't get into too big of details. But the bankers that were on the other side were trying to tell us. It's worth about a billion six, a billion seven, a billion eight, something like that. We bid a billion six for this company. The the winning bidders both came in around two billion, and they basically played them off of each other over the course of like three weeks, and they raised their bids from two billion to two one to two two to two four to two six to three billion to three point five to four to four point five to five billion dollars. They sold this company for $5 billion that probably wasn't worth two. So you never know if big oil guy is going to go to Nick Saban and say, hey, coach, how about 10? And Jimmy Sexton says, I mean, you know, we can't do it for 10. You know, how about 12? You know, 12's interesting, but I think if you did 15, he's like, all right, 15. And Jimmy comes out and goes, God, I talked to Nick. He says, he thinks 20. Got 20. It's 20, dude. So, I mean, you never know what's going to happen in these things. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but yeah, things happen. You know, some company paid $5 billion for a company that wasn't worth two. Uh, yeah, it happens. And it's Texas, so I think anything can happen. Amen. <laughs> That's great. Well, I want to wrap up with a few NC State questions before sure. our listeners will just skewer me for not asking these things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. How is the NC State job viewed by coaching circles and areas outside of Raleigh? Um, so it's got it's got all the right attributes, right? Um, in terms of the university, the profile, the city, um, the, the facilities, the ability to recruit, the ability to win championships. Uh, I, you know, I guess the 
the pause that I see um, perhaps might be with athletics, athletics administration. Um, perhaps not wouldn't be graded as an A um, from outsiders. Um, but I mean, Raleigh is just an outstanding city, right? Significantly large university. Um, the facilities look fantastic. Um, it's a very nice building. The weight room is sufficient, not amazing. Um, you know, it's a little detached from the rest of campus, um, which, eh, eh, you know, it's not, not, not the biggest thing in the world. Um, as I'm thinking back through, um, I don't think on, I don't think over there they have full dining capabilities, right? Or they do it, they do it upstairs. I think they do it now. I think, I think yeah, I think they changed this, this past yep. season or two. Yeah, it's upstairs. That's right. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's kind of all set up in terms of it's set up to win, um, you know, there's a lot of good football in state now, um, which is good and bad. Um, obviously, proof that you can win. You just need somebody who can really uh, recruit regionally, mm-hmm. uh, recruit the you know the driving radius, the five hour drive, you know, six hour drive where families are really super comfortable letting their kids go that far. Um, it, it's a place you should win. It just is. And that's, I think that's the frustrating part for state fans, you know, over the history of time, history of time. Um, the last time we put this on our last episode, the last time NC state has a coach that hasn't retired or been fired was 1989. And that's just not good. I mean, wow. There's a lot of things wrong with that. And that kind of indicates a lot of different problems. Uh, so, you know, there's some frustration in, in Raleigh where people just want to win. Our fans show up in a hurricane. It was three quarters full. they're ridiculous so that's always curious how people see on the outside i think Uh, there you know a lot of frustration with the way state lost to east carolina this year yep i I know you know our schedule beginning the year people were thinking six and six it's fine and then we come out play pretty well look pretty good and then you lose to ecu but it's not just how they lost or not just losing but it's how they lost it was sloppy it's kind of a missed opportunity it's kind of defined uh, Dave Dorn's early years. Now that might have subsided after beating Notre Dame, even though they're not very good. But how is Dave Dorn viewed by people outside of the ACC? So uh, you know, I, I'll tell you, heading into the season, I think um, there was some cause for concern there. And then, uh, yeah, the East Carolina loss was people were like, oh gosh, this thing could fall apart. Now it seems like they've held it together pretty well, uh, but and I haven't looked at the schedule. But I think the schedule gets a little bit harder right here, right? We got it. Oh, yeah. What do we have? Clemson and somebody coming up? Clemson at Clemson at Louisville. (laughs) (laughs) Just for fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's fun. Um, So here's the good news, right? Is is a win, you know, in either of those two would be huge for the program. Um, Won't be favored in either. So, um, (laughs) yeah, 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 we'll see. Um, How is Dave Dorn? Dave did did a great job at NIU, um, very wisely, you know, parlayed that into a wonderful opportunity for he and his family. Um, And it's okay. Okay. We've done okay. We need to, we need to improve. Um, So the question is, this is the year. Do we see improvement or not? Um, And East Carolina loss hurt. It stung. Um, The response so far has been good. Um, that's huge to beat Notre Dame. I mean, it's just, you know, regardless of the weather, it's, it's a win over Notre Dame. Um, and regardless of how good or, you know, opposite Notre Dame is right now. Um, so we'll see, you know, check back in three weeks, four weeks. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's reality. And, and he understands that it's reality. We, we gotta, we gotta win. I think the frustration has been, you know, the off season, you know, I heard, there's always rumors about uh, fractures in the coaching staff, and then they got rid of Matt Cannon. He goes to Pittsburgh. They bring in Drinkwist from Boise State, who people have been very satisfied with. He's been called a pretty good game. Uh, there's very little complaining, which is kind of odd for us. Uh, the complaining <laughs> has been focused on the def- defensive side of the ball. Yeah, we have a you know defensive line with, depending on your service, multiple five stars, couple four stars, and. But the just hasn't been that improvement, uh, mostly from the backside of the field, the secondary. 
and I think the the frustration is more on Huxtable and Dave Dorn not doing anything about the the scheme and and whatnot there. Yeah, you know, um, the whole Matt Canada thing leaving was puzzling, um, and I still don't really have a good feel for what really happened there. Um, so, you know, again, it, we're all talking around it, and Dave knows it, and he's just got to win, um, and he knows that. Um, and I cheer for, for guys to win. Um, so, you know, let's, let's, so we got these two, which are real hard. And then we got, is it BC after that? Yeah. There's a lot of football left. We have yeah Clemson, Louisville, BC, Syracuse, Florida state, Miami, and Carolina. Okay. So, okay. Clemson, Louisville, BC, Syracuse. So look at those four. If you came out of it three and one, you'd be thrilled, right? Absolutely. If you come out of it one and three, it's really bad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we got it's real life. We got to wait and see, see how it plays out, um, and and just keep pulling for them. Yeah, I think it's what we try to keep telling uh, state fans is that there's a lot of football left. I mean, they very well could be nine and three at the end of the year. They could be, you know, four and eight. It's, we kind of just don't know yet until we we'll probably learn a little bit more. When we go down to Clemson and see at least how they compete. Because uh, that Clemson team is really good. And if I or anybody else knew exactly how I was going to play it, we'd make a lot of money in Vegas. But <laughs> That's right. just, Yep. Well, Scott, I appreciate you taking your time and joining us here. Uh, th- thanks pleasure. as always. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scott.